0: From the creation of the world, God loved us. In the warmth of a sunrise, in the rainbow after a storm, through signs and wonders, promises and dreams, He showed His love through the law, through judges and prophets and kings, through floods, famines, furnaces, and fish, He parted the waters, Led nations to new lands, close the mouth of lions, and rain down fire from heaven. But in all that he had done, he still did not understand the great mystery of his love. So he did something we never imagined. He grew silent. But in the silence, he was preparing us. of God, on a quiet night in Bethlehem, the earth shook with a heavenly host, announcing the good news that would change the course of eternity. God's only Son, perfect and holy, would come down to dwell among us. But how would he come? A brave warrior like Joshua? A triumphant king like David? A bold prophet like Elijah? In God's infinite kindness, he chose a humble baby, our infant God, Hear us. This is the mystery of Christmas. And now, our hearts are bursting with joy, like the star that scattered its light across the night sky. Our voices ring out in praise. We join with the angels and sing this divine gift of God sleep on the hay has come.
1: So I'm going to invite you over the next several weeks during this Christmas season uh, for you and I to kind of journey back into or into the mystery of Christ. Now when we say mystery, mystery <clears throat> is something that, that doesn't mean it's not real. In fact, it's very real. It just means that we can only explain so much, Right. So we've got one or two choices, as I see it, at the end of the day, when it comes to being a follower of Christ, especially I can live day to day, trusting myself and what I can understand, or I can live day to day, learning to trust what God knows and what he chooses to reveal. I can only explain so much, right? Y'all get that, right? But which way are you going to lean? Is it going to be to trust self and what you and I can figure out? Or is it going to be to learn how to trust Christ more deeply in what he reveals, the mystery of it, what he reveals? Because the Bible I read, the only place that that life truly changes and is worth living out of is in the midst of that mystery. It's in the midst of learning to trust who Christ is and what he reveals and what he knows. Uh, Doesn't it make sense God knows more than you? Doesn't it make sense that Christ knows more than we could possibly fathom? So why not trust him? Why not learn to, to walk that road as opposed to the road of self? Now, self is easier. I get it. It's easier for me to try to be in control. The problem is it doesn't work. And, and the gift of Christmas, the gift of Christ, is an invitation into trusting him deep, more deeply, understanding and experiencing the life change that comes right in the middle of some of this mystery of who Christ is. I want us to look at a prophecy of the coming of Christ in Zechariah chapter 9. Now, if you're not sure exactly where that is, if you've got your Bible, go to Matthew, turn left, and two books in, Malachi and then Zechariah, you'll be there. Turn to chapter 9. It'll be on the screen in just a moment. And Zechariah reveals two things about this coming king of kings that we call Christ. This coming Messiah that was prophesied. He reveals that he is a king worth trusting, number one. And he reveals, number two, that he is a king offering peace, number two. But I want you to see that these two things are not separate. They're actually very much connected. And I want us to look not just at what these two things mean this morning, but what is the connection between the two? How are they connected? And why is that relevant to your life and my life in terms of the birth, the coming of Christ, this advent? Look at verse 9, two verses of this prophecy of the coming Messiah. And he says, Rejoice! greatly daughter Zion shout daughter of Jerusalem that's just two ways of referring to God's people the Hebrew people of the day and then he goes on to say see look in other words see your king comes to you how righteous and victorious lowly and riding on a donkey on a colt the foal of a donkey and then he's talking about when Christ comes back. We'll, we'll get into this in a moment. He says, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. And notice this, he says, we, he will proclaim what? Peace. Peace, not just to God's people, to Jerusalem, to the daughters of Zion, but to who? Peace to the nations. That's you and I, that's everybody His rule, according to this prophecy, will extend from sea to sea. And from the rivers, talking about the beginning of creation, the river Euphrates, this from the river to the ends of the earth. There will be no place where his peace will not reign when he comes again. We'll get into that in just a moment. But I want you to see, first of all, in verse 9, that he's telling us that Jesus, this Christ to come, this Christ, this this word become flesh that was born into our world and into potentially our lives on a personal basis, he gives us two reasons that he is worth trusting. But before I even get there, I want you to notice the very beginning of verse nine, what the prophet says about this coming of this Messiah, this Christ, what does he say to do? Did you see it? He didn't just say rejoice, he said what? Rejoice greatly. You see, those two words put together in in the Old Testament language literally mean to spin around. And it's talking about being overwhelmed by an emotion like you feel like you're you're just about to spin out of your skin. And the emotion here, the experience here that he's talking about is that word rejoice, joy. Joy. You see, what he's claiming and what we ought to acknowledge at the coming of Christ, regardless of our circumstances, is that he, he is big enough. He is an, enough that brings joy into our life, regardless of the circumstances you may face, regardless of the challenges. You can know a joy in Christ. He is the source of the joy. And he says we ought to greatly rejoice and even go so far as to say we should what? Shout. In other words, my friends, when we sing the Christmas songs, when we come and and worship together and we sing songs of worship, we ought to sing it like we mean it. Right? Hello? When we come into this place and we worship together, we ought to come, as God's Word says, come and worship in spirit and truth. Don't go through some kind of proverbial motions. Don't be thinking about everything else but Christ. We're in here to focus on Christ and Christ alone. Why? Because that'll change your life. It will transform you. You will have joy regardless of the circumstances you find yourself in in any given moment. You you will have joy to the degree that it will cause you to spin around and not know how, how to explain the joy you have, right? It's a mystery, but it's a mystery that will change. He will change your life. But notice what he says next. He says, see, your king comes to you. Notice that he didn't say, we come to him, right? Did you notice? Those words mean what they look like on the page there. God comes to us because we desperately need him to. And when the word became flesh, when, the, when God was born into this world, he did it because we need him to. God's word says he comes to you. This king of kings, he comes to you. You won't find him, he'll find you. And he will meet you where you are, eye to eye, wherever you are, whatever your circumstances, whoever you are, he will meet you and accept you. And here's why you can trust him. Look at it close. He says, this king comes to you and he comes first characteristic. He comes what? Righteous. Well, what does that mean? That refers in the Old Testament we've looked at before That refers to the very character and the conduct of Jesus. The very character and conduct of this one, this Messiah, that is to be born into this world that was prophesied to come before he even came. This one is righteous. In other words, everything Jesus is and everything Jesus ever does is connected to the heart of God. You can trust him because of who he is. He will always be the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He will be consistent, and he, listen, he's not just trustworthy, he is worth your trust. What does that mean? That means he will transform your life if you'll only learn how to trust him. And quit trusting self. Quit grappling with life on your own terms, but lean into who he is, because he says, this king, he comes to you. He doesn't wait for you to come to him, because he knows you will never get there. He comes to you, and he comes to you righteous, but he also, look at the second characteristic and the reason that the prophet gives us, that he is worthy of our trust. He is what? He's victorious. He is righteous and victorious, and he goes on to say he's lowly and riding a donkey. I'll get back to that in a moment, but that word victorious is important because it could be understood and translated, holding salvation, it refers to the fact that when King Jesus is born into this world, when he was born into this world, he made it possible for us to be free, to be saved, to be, be redeemed. He did it because what? He came to you. You and I can't come to him. It's not possible. We can't find him. He found us. And he he loves you so much and me so much that he came. And, and, and in fact, that word victorious even refers to the fact that he is stricken. You know this. When Jesus crawled up on the cross, he didn't do it because he had to, he did it because he wanted to. He didn't do it because he had to, he did it because he was inspired by his love for you and for me. He sacrificed everything for you and I because that's who he is. He's inspired by the very heart of God. Now, then you read the part that he he comes how? Riding not in on a stallion or with a parade, but on a what? Do you see it? Now, wake up for a minute if you're sleeping, because this is awesome stuff right here. He comes riding in a donkey. And if that sounds familiar to you, that, that should, because it's in two different gospels where Jesus did just exactly that into Jerusalem. He came riding according to Matthew 21, 1 through 5 on a donkey. He came according to John chapter 12, verses 12 through 15, riding on a donkey. Now, why would a king ride in on a donkey? Because in the ancient Near East, when the king would come riding on a donkey, he is offering Peace. That was a good thing. He's wanting to relate to the people on a personal basis. That's what that meant in their time. The donkey wasn't this beast of burden that we tend to think of. It was a, when a king, a prince, came into a city. He's coming offering peace when he was riding on a donkey. Now, when he comes in riding on a stallion, especially if that stallion is connected to a chariot, he's not coming offering peace. He's coming offering dominance and force he's going to take. You see, Jesus doesn't come into this world offering dominance, even though he has the power to dominate. Come on, are you here? He comes into this world offering what? Peace. He's wanting to offer it to you and I on a personal, life changing basis. And in fact, look at the very next part of that verse after he says, I will, after he says he'll come in riding on a donkey, on a colt, and a foal. And he says he'll take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem. So what is it we can learn from Jesus, about Jesus in this passage that is so critical for us to gather? Number one, he's righteous. Friend, he's worth your trust because he's who he is. He will be the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He, he will be consistently who God is. He will reflect the very character of and the nature of who God is. But number two, he's humble. You see that that word and that picture of riding on a donkey, lowly on a donkey, means that he is humble. He comes offering this peace to you and I, not because we deserve it, not because he, was, he had to, but because that's who he is. He comes in humility. Now listen, we're talking about God. It, it, did he have to come in humble offering peace no the answer now look at verse 10 as we shift gears because the prophet he he talks about the prophecy that jesus fulfilled in his first time he came in his first arrival in his birth his first advent now verse 10 he's going to emphasize his second coming you see jesus offers you a personal peace now But when he comes back the second time, my friends, he's going to finish what he started. How do I know that? Look at what the prophet says about this Messiah, this king to come. Verse 10, he says, I will take away the chariots of Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. What does all that mean? That means that your enemy will no longer have the tools to cause death and destruction. Now listen, we focus on a enemy in our world today when evil lifts its ugly head and darkness seems to take over our culture. But the evil that he's talking about is the enemy, not a enemy. He's talking about the satanic realm. How do I know that? You'll see the passage on the screen. You go all the way back to chapter 3, and I could spend a lot of time here and I won't. This prophet in, in That is telling us this. Zechariah is informing us the enemy that Jesus defeats. And he refers to it here, and you'll see the word, the name Joshua, as the high priest. And Joshua is the equivalent of who in the New Testament? Some of you know Jesus. Same word, different language in the New Testament. Joshua was a high priest of the Old Testament times. Jesus, according to Hebrews, is the high priest. Joshua helped people over time again and again to be able to go into the presence of God as the high priest. When Jesus came, what happened? The curtain was ripped from top to bottom, and it is finished. And Jesus, as the high priest, allows you and I to go into and live out of the presence of God each single day. Now look at what this passage says about the enemy that Jesus has and will completely defeat when he comes back again. It says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before an angel of the Lord. And notice who else is there. And Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. You're not worthy of God's love. In other words, to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord, that is God said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. And he's screaming. Notice the exclamation point. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. And then he goes on to say, is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Christ, God is going to offer this salvation. And then he says, listen, high priest Joshua, you and your associates seated before you who are men, you are what? Symbolic of what? Symbolic of things to come. He's talking about Jesus. And he says, I am going to bring a servant my servant, the branch, the branch of Jesse, the, the lineage of David. In other words, there, listen, there's a lot there I don't have time to get into. But here's what all that means. Satan can harass you. The satanic realm can distract you if you let him. But he can't defeat you. Because when Jesus ultimately ended up on that cross, what did he say before he took his last breath? It is what? finished so the satanic realm spiritual warfare which is a very real thing by the way is a whole other topic it is real and it can, it can harass you it can cause issues in our lives but it cannot defeat you because our enemy is already defeated according to God's word greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world but when Jesus comes back the second time We're not only going to know a piece, we're going to know the piece. Because he's going to finish what he started on the cross. He's going to complete his work and the enemy is going to be gone. His tools to cause evil and destruction and darkness are going to be taken away. That's what the chariots and the war horses and everything else he lists in there is referring to. So, we can know this peace, first of all, because our enemy has been defeated. The one that takes away our peace is defeated. Don't live as if you are not victorious, because you are if you know Christ. When Jesus said it is finished, he didn't, he meant it. It is done. Everything that needs to be done is done. And he's going to come back in his second advent and complete the peace, so to speak. Now, look at what he says. I'll wrap it up with this. It goes on to say, he, this Christ, this Messiah, will proclaim peace to the nations. Notice he didn't just say to the people of God, to the Jerusalem, to the Hebrews. He said to everyone. And that word peace is a well-worn word in the Old Testament. It's the word shalom. And it means well-being. It means to be well. And it refers to being complete and content. It pictures having a peace not only in your relationships with one another, but with God himself. You see, when Jesus came, he gave you and I this personal peace. He makes this personal peace possible. Paul put it this way. Some verses you're going to be familiar with, many of you, in Philippians chapter 4. If you're not, you need to know these verses. He says, do not be anxious about what? Nada, anything. Anything. Not a thing. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation. You see, anxiousness doesn't come from the world. It comes from you and me. Anxiousness is my response to the world. And he is saying, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything, in every situation, change your perspective. Don't trust self, trust God. And he says, by prayer and petition, talk to him, praise him, worship him, ask him with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And notice what happens when we do that. What happens? And the peace of God. He's the source And the peace of God, which what? It's a mystery, which transcends all understanding. Will do what? Guard your heart and your minds. That's the source of anxiousness. You see, what we need to grasp is not only the fact that when Jesus was born into this world... He is worth trusting. But there's a connection to what he offers, and that is peace. You see, it's a little bit like this. Many of you have one of these or several of these at home, right? And when you push, this is a flashlight if you didn't know what this is. And when when you push the button, you expect it to do what? To work, to illuminate, to light up. But you also know that if you push that button and there's no batteries in there, it's not going to what? Not going to work. In other words, there's a direct connection. I know this is basic, so bear with me. there's, There's a basic connection between the light and the batteries, the power source. No power source, no light. You see, what we've gathered here in terms of this prophecy about the coming of Christ, this Christmas passage, if you will, we've learned two things, that this king who's already been born into the world as the prophecy had said he would be, this king is worth trusting. He will change your life if you learn to trust him and quit trusting yourself. But there's something else we've learned today, and that is that this king offers peace, real peace. I don't mean this kind of fake it to you make it peace. I'm talking about real peace. He offers peace into your life, but the deal is these two things aren't separated. They're connected. The way I experience the peace is to practice the trust. Trust leads to the peace. Here's another way of saying it. No trust, no peace. That is the source of Christ will bring peace into your life and my life. I'm talking right now, regardless of what you're facing. That's the beauty of this gift of Christmas, this gift of Christ. But the the reality of this is I've got to learn to lean on him and learn to trust him more deeply in order to experience that peace. You see, it's not two separate things. It's two connected things. Well, how does that work? When God speaks to you through his word, what are you going to do with it? What is your next step of faith that you are called to take? When he speaks to you in prayer and prompts you to take a step, what are you going to do? It's not a matter of just experiencing the prompting and experiencing God speaking to you. It's what do you do with it? How do you respond? When you have conversations with other believers in your life and you've developed relationships that are trying to follow Christ too and, and you get God speaking to you through those people, what are you going to do with it? What is your next step of faith? When he just leads you and within some circumstances and teaches you something and prompts you t- to follow him, my friend, it's not just about him prompting you, it's about what? Taking your next step of faith. See, there's connection between trust and peace in this passage, according to God's word. So I'm gonna leave you with a question. Are you experiencing, or have you recently experienced the peace that transcends understanding? And if not, and this is not judgment, this is just challenge. If not, could it be no trust, no peace? Could that be what the problem is? I'm not learning to trust him. Therefore, I'm not experiencing the peace that this King Jesus offers every single day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, this just beautiful and powerful passage, this prophecy of who Jesus Was when he was born into this world and who he continues to be in our lives. You didn't just come to be born historically into this world and to be a footnote of history. You came to be born into our lives. And that happens when we choose to trust you. Whether it's that initial step of faith in placing our faith in Jesus Christ and who he actually is, Or it's as a believer choosing to take my next step of faith, whether it feels like a small step or a large step, what am I going to do? Am I going to follow Christ when he leads in my life? Father, help us make the connection between trust and peace. May we learn one day, one step at a time, to trust you more deeply. And watch the mystery of the peace that transcends all understanding. Can't explain everything that you are. I can't put God in a box. But we can experience the reality of the mystery of Christ. May we live that way one day at a time. It's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen.